Zechariah chapter 5 is where we'll be tonight. Zechariah chapter 5. All right, so Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah chapter 5, we're in, a, 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 in the middle of Zechariah describing a, a series of visions that uh, the Lord gives to him, and the Lord has provided for him an interpreting angel to help him know and understand the meaning of these visions. And so, uh, uh, what, what number is this? Is this the sixth vision that he has in, uh, in a series of, I believe, eight? And so he sees a vision of a flying scroll. Zechariah chapter 5, verse 1. Then I turned and raised my eyes and saw there a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? So I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. And he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according, uh, according to this side of the scroll. And every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. I will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and stones. And so what do you think of when you hear the word scroll? Okay, the, the biblical writings, yeah, so, you, so you, you, you know, the scroll would have the papyrus on two rolls and the words would be, would be written on the scroll, you know, so we usually think of God's, God's written word. When we think of scrolls, we think of the scripture, but in the ancient world, you know, that was just a, uh, originally everything was written on scrolls before uh, uh, books were invented, but uh, but usually when we think of scrolls, we think of the revealed, written word of God, and certainly that's what's that's what's in view here in this vision. It's clear that Zechariah is being allowed to see a scroll on which is written uh, the word of the Lord, and uh, we see as the vision goes on that it is a word of judgment, a word of God's uh, curse. Uh, and remember the setting, Zechariah has been called to uh, uh, deliver words of comfort and encouragement to, uh, to the people that have returned to Jerusalem after the exile. They've been taken from their homes and were in exile in Babylon for 70 years. Their city was destroyed, the temple was torn down, the walls were, were burnt, and uh, after 70 years they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem and they're in the process of rebuilding process of rebuilding the city and later Nehemiah will come they'll rebuild its walls and and they're really in the middle of the main main project going on right now is the rebuilding of the temple um, and uh, as they're rebuilding they have become discouraged they're being opposed by their neighbors they've got limited resources they've focused on other priorities and Zechariah comes along called by God God puts his word on Zechariah to call them to uh, persevere in the work, to encourage them, uh, and the text says that he brings them comforting and encouraging words. He brings words to fortify them and encourage them to persevere, to overcome the obstacles, and to complete the building, to complete the work. And in the vision we looked at last week, the lampstand and the olive trees, you know, he, he actually promised the, that the temple would be, would be completed. It would be completed not by might, not by power but by my spirit, says the Lord. 
And so uh, uh, this is a series of visions. Uh, God is allowing Zechariah to see spiritual things, spiritual reality, spiritual truth that would normally be invisible to the human eye, that would not be able to be perceived or understood by humans. But God is, is allowing Zechariah to see spiritual things, to have these visions. And he has also provided for him an interpreting angel to explain the visions to him, to give him the right application so that the message that he delivers to the, to the people will be accurate. And so uh, uh, the interpreting angel helps Zechariah uh, understand, explain, and apply these visions to the people. Uh, he's already seen a vision of horses that promise the restoration of God's people in Judah. He's seen a vision of horns that promise the destruction of their enemies. He has seen a vision of a measuring line promising that Jerusalem will, will, will be rebuilt and, and be filled with, uh, will, will be filled to overflowing with uh, people from all nations. It will ultimately be so large it will be a city without walls, uh, but God will be its own security and its own light. He's seen a vision of the high priest that promises the restoration of the ministry of the priesthood. Uh, and he's seen a, vis a vision of the lampstand and olive trees that promises that the temple will be completed. So this is the sixth vision, a vision of a flying scroll. And this scroll is actually, this, this scroll is huge. We don't... Uh, measure things in cubits, but uh, scholars say that the interpretation of this is it's probably 30 feet, 33 feet long, 20 cubits, about 33 feet, and in its width it's 10 cubits, probably about 16 and a half feet, so 33 by 16 and a half, 33 by 17 feet, and you know when I read this, you know what I thought of, it's not very spiritual, but you know when you go to football games or you go to the beach, there's an airplane and it pulls this big sign behind it, you know, <laughs> anywhere there's a crowd of people, you can pay somebody to take an airplane and pull a banner behind it uh, with words written on it, you know, trying to talk you into buying something or something like that, you know, so that's kind of what I envisioned when I see this banner, except for one difference, there was no airplane, <laughs> It was simply a, a banner, simply a flying scroll, uh, not being pulled by, by an airplane. But that's what, that's what came to my mind as I contemplated this particular passage. And so it is a huge banner, a large scroll with words written on it. And, uh, um, and, and Zechariah, the interpreting angel, actually tells Zechariah that this is the curse. This is the curse. So written on this scroll, this fine scroll, is a message of God's judgment. A curse. Uh, you know, verse 3 said, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the earth. Now, you know, as we've studied through the Old Testament, we've seen that God has made a covenant with His people. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them to uh, Mount Sinai, and he says, you are my people, I have brought you out, I have saved you, I have redeemed you, I have brought you from slavery, and I have made you my people. And now we are entering into a covenant, and because I have saved you, here is how you are to live as the people of God. The law did not tell them how they would be saved. God had saved them by His mighty power and by His grace and brought them out to the mountain. And now He gives them the law and says, this is how you are to live as the people of God. And so this is not how you get saved. This is how you live once you are saved. And so He gives them the law. 
the covenant. He enters into a covenant with them and says, I have saved you, you are my people, and now here is your side. Here is how you are to live with the, 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 as the people of God. And the covenant came with blessings and cursings. All right, what, what would result in blessings from God, from the covenant? Obedience, okay, so blessings would be the reward for obedience, or the result of obedience, the fruit of obedience. You obey the Lord, you live up to the covenant, you live as the people of God, you walk in accordance with my ways, and I will bless you. And the ultimate blessing is, is God's presence, and God's provision, and His protection for His people. And... The law, the covenant also came with cursings, and the cursings would be the consequence of disobedience. He says, I'm putting before you a choice, you know, blessing or cursing, life or death, obedience or disobedience. And so I have made you my people. Here is how you are to live as the people of God. If you live as the people of God, you will experience blessings, and if not, you will experience cursings. And when Israel entered into the land, uh, they divided the tribes into halves. So they went up onto two mountains and they recited the law of Moses. And uh, from one mountain, they announced the blessings that would come from God's obedience, the blessings of His presence and His provision and His protection. And on the other mountain, they, they listed off the cursings that would be the result, the consequence of their disobedience. That's one of the first things that happened when they entered into the promised land, even before the battle of Jericho, early in the book of Joshua, as they announced the blessings and the cursings of the covenant. And so uh, uh, the curse goes out over the face of the earth. Now, now two of the Ten Commandments are emphasized. So, so the, 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 the core of that covenant comes down to Ten Commandments. God gave Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. He restates them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And then there's lots of other laws, but the, the core of that covenant comes down to Ten Commandments, and two of them are emphasized on this particular scroll. Which of the two commandments are addressed on this curse that is going out to the land? There shalt not bear false witness against perjury, and the other, thou shalt not steal. That's right. So two of the commandments are emphasized. Two of the commandments are singled out on this scroll. And the... And, uh, in the law of God, when God brought His people to Sinai, He gave them the law. He said, I have saved you. I brought you out by my hand, by my grace. It's not anything you did. I delivered you. I brought you here. You are my people, and now here is how you are to live as my people. And He gives the law, and there's actually three categories of the law that He gives at Mount Sinai. There's the moral law, there's the civil law, and then there is the ceremonial law. All right, so he gives them three kinds of law there at Mount Sinai. And one of the interpretive challenges of the Old Testament is to determine what laws are what kind. The moral law are laws that come directly from the character and nature of God, reveal the character and nature of God, and they are true for all people at all places at all times. The moral law uh, applies to everybody uh, all of creation, all of the people created in God's law, they are true. Uh, they apply to all people at all places at all time and basically re represented in the Ten Commandments. 
the moral law. All right, the civil law would be the laws that govern Israel in the land. They were coming into the land. They were going to establish a nation, establish a people, a theocracy ruled by God. And the civil law applies to ethnic, national Israel in the land under the old covenant. And that's laws about, you know, if-then laws. Like if your ox gores somebody, then this is the consequence of your ox goring somebody. And so it made sure that these people could exist and, uh, and live together uh, as a people. And so that would be the civil law governing Israel as they settled in the land. If somebody wrongs you in this way, then here is the justice that comes toward that. And so this would be, you know, laws like we would think that would be passed by our legislature, signed by our governor, laws that govern our interactions as, a, as citizens of a nation, the civil law. And then the ceremonial law would be the sacrifices and the feast, those ceremonial laws that ultimately would point to the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. And so all the feasts, the rituals, the sacrifices, the tabernacle, later the temple, all of those laws governed the ceremonial worship of of, uh, Israel in the land under the Old Covenant. And so the, the civil law applies to ethnic Israel in the land under the Old Covenant. The ceremonial law governs their sacrifices, their worships. And, uh, and so, you know, the civil law doesn't really apply to us. But the principles of the civil law can certainly be uh, useful and applied to us and uh, uh, applied to the keeping of laws. But, but uh, you know, the, the law about goring, you know, if my ox gores somebody, I might not have the same penalty as somebody else, somebody's ox goring somebody in ethnic Israel under the old covenant. You know, so, so those are implied. And the ceremonial laws were fulfilled with the death of Jesus. The ceremonial laws were fulfilled when Jesus offered the once and for all sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for sin. And so all of those ceremonial laws have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, shown by the tearing of the the veil in the temple. When Jesus cried out, it is finished. The the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom, showing that all those ceremonial laws have have been fulfilled. And so uh, those ceremonial laws point to the life and work of Jesus and were fulfilled by Him and His sinless life and His atoning death, and He offered the once and for all sacrifice. And so Zechariah here is speaking of two of the moral laws, and we mentioned them. Don't steal and don't bear false witness. And those laws are part of the moral law. They apply to all people at all places. Uh, he, he singles out the thief. Verse 3, every thief shall be expelled, one who steals. And on the other side, every perjurer, everyone who commits false witness, everyone who lies about his neighbor. And so, evidently, you know, stealing and lying were really impacting the people, this group of people that had come back from the, from the exile in Babylon. Maybe these commands were not being enforced by those who were, that were in authority. And God makes it clear that even though people are stealing and lying and seem like they're getting away with it because the civil authorities aren't enforcing the law, God will bring justice. God will make things right. 
the guilty will be punished. And that is completely in keeping with God's character who says, I will by no means clear the guilty. And so God says that this, this, this scroll, this huge banner flying through the sky uh, has two curses written on it. The curse against the thief and the curse against the perjurer. And God says, I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. I will send it to the house of the thief. And so, uh, so let's, let's think about these commands for a minute. What, what value, what principle is upheld in the command, do not steal? Okay, to, to work. And when you work, what do you acquire? Payment, you know, and, and private property. Alright, so the command do not steal upholds the value of private property. You know, when God created Adam, he created well, he created all of the universe, and then he created a garden and he created Adam, and he gave Adam a job to do, to work with creation and to to produce. And uh and he and he created Adam to have dominion over creation. And so, so there is a value, and the Scripture is very clear about the value of private property. Private ownership and private stewardship is a biblical principle that is actually essential to the proper functioning, uh, fruitfulness, and prosperity of people. And so to violate the principle of private property by taking something that does not rightly belong to you, taking something that belongs to someone else without permission, is, uh, uh, you know, violates that, uh, that principle of private ownership. Uh, and you can, you know, you can, you can steal in lots of different ways. You know, you can steal by taking property. You can steal by taking money. You can steal by taking time from your employer. You can steal by, uh, uh, in, in many different ways, to violate the principle of, of a, of a private property, and so uh, uh, stealing violates the principle. God creates creates us to have ownership, to have stewardship. Ultimately, He is the owner of all things, but He entrusts parts of His creation to individuals to have dominion over that and to use that to become uh, to become prosperous, to become uh, productive, and to have fruitfulness and uh, yes ma'am right Not true. Yeah. 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 And in bearing false witness, you're stealing reputation and you're stealing, you know, a, a good name, perhaps. And, yep. Yeah, so throughout Scripture we see the value of private property and, it's, and, and that value is put right there in the Ten Commandments and the, 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 the Ten Moral Laws 
that God values private property, and that's why stealing is wrong. And, and you see it in, uh, you know, Ahab saw a, a, a threshing floor, and he stole that from him, and God pronounced judgment upon him. Um, we're going to see Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, you know, they had private property. They could do with it as they wanted. Uh, they chose to... Uh, to sell it and then lie about the proceeds. Their crime was not uh, not giving all the money. Their crime was lying about it, lying to the Holy Spirit. That'll be in Acts chapter five in the next passage. So the Bible talks to us about about the importance of of private property because ultimately, you remember Jesus boils down all the law in two commands: love God, love your neighbor. Love God. And love your neighbor. And the Ten Commandments break out that way. The first four commandments talk specifically about our relationship with God. The next six talk about relationship with our neighbor. And so uh, stealing from somebody shows a lack of love for them. Uh, if I love someone, I'm not going to take what rightfully belongs to them uh, without permission. And so the command not to steal is about loving your neighbor as yourself. And... Uh, in, in an environment, and maybe it was happening here uh, to the community that had come back from Babylon. You know, if, if somebody, if, if, if stealing, the, the command against stealing is not enforced, uh, you know, it makes people feel vulnerable and unsafe. You know, if you feel like your property is in danger and somebody might just show up and take what rightly belongs to you, that's going to make you feel, uh, uh, feel unsafe, make you feel vulnerable and a, and a society that does not enforce the command not to steal leads to instability fear insecurity and if you feel like the government authorities aren't doing the right thing then there's a de desire for vengeance and taking matters into your own hand and so a society that does not enforce the command not to steal creates a lot of a lot of uh, turmoil inside of the uh, inside of the uh, the society and and if the government comes and confiscates private property and confiscates wealth then uh, that destroys a lot of motivation for hard work and it causes slow economic production and uh, uh, slow growth and 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 in the overall uh, flourishing of its people and so God values ten command uh, the values private property and the Ten Commandments uh, forbid the taking of private property, taking what belongs to someone else. It prohibits stealing. And so the, the Ten Commandments are not only moral and spiritual, but they're in, intensely practical. We see how this command can be essential to the right functioning of a society is, that values private property. And so uh, uh, God values private property, and he knows that protecting it is essential to human flourishing, so he, he seeks to protect the value of private property through his commands and he curses the one who violates that principle god curses the thief all right and then also the the perjurer or the one who bears false witness so what value is upheld with the command thou shalt not bear false witness What would be the opposite of thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt tell the truth. And so the value of truth and justice 
And so the command not to bear false witness against your neighbor is, is a, is a value, values truth and justice. You know, to, to bear false witness against someone is to lie about them. And certainly, you know, the word perjury and, and, uh, and then the Old Covenant, you know, certainly in mind here is the, uh, uh, talks about not lying about someone in court. Uh, don't lie about someone in a court of law. Don't bear false witness against someone. Uh, don't make a false claim or a false accusation that could result in punishment under the law. And again, you'd be stealing somebody's reputation, stealing somebody's good name by making a false claim or a false accusation against them. And you also make, make them subject to, uh, uh, to, to punishment. And uh, in the Old Covenant, you know, this was particularly important because a, a guilt could be established on the witness, the testimony of two witnesses. And so two witnesses, a matter should be, it could be established even up into the capital punishment, the death penalty. If two people came and said that you had committed a crime uh, worthy of death, then death is what you got. Uh, but to, to uh, uphold the principle of truth and justice, those witnesses, uh, you committed a crime worthy of death, you were to be stoned to death, those witnesses were to be the ones, the first ones to throw the stones to authenticate their witness and to show that their witness was true. And also in the Old Covenant law, the Old Testament law, if you falsely testified against someone uh, and it was found out that your testimony was false, do you know what penalty you got? You got the same penalty that would have come if that person would have committed the crime for which you accused them. So if you accused them of murder, and that was not true, that did not happen, and the murderer would be put to death, and the false witness, the one who accused someone of murder, would be put to death. And so, uh, so God values the truth, and God values justice. And that is because, uh, you know, that comes from the, the character and nature of, of God. God is truthful, and so God calls His people to be truthful in all things. And so it, it does speak of, of God's of, of, of formal testimony in a court, but it also, the Bible also uh, forbids private lies against someone. The Bible talks you know, condemns whisperings, tail-bearing, backbiting, slandering, or even destroying someone's character by innu innuendo, insinuations, and evil su suggestions. Bless their hearts. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so, so not just public testimony is forbidden, but the private whisperings about someone that might not be true. And so God commands His people to be truthful in all things. And that's a moral command that applies to all people at all places at all time. God values truth. God values justice. People were created in God's image and were created to reflect His character. And God is truth. He is the source and origin of all truth. He is truthful and He cannot lie. And we are to reflect His character. And so lying brings reproach to His holy name. And He cannot and will not tolerate that. So He who commits perjury is also under a curse. Verse 3, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. And being expelled, being cut off from God's people, being, being cut off from the assembly, being excommunicated, uh, put out of the assembly of God's people.
And, and so like, uh, like stealing, refusing to lie about another person is also part of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Lying about someone is destructive to the victim of the lie. A person who is lied about can suffer loss in reputation, loss of credibility, and even financially and economically. And so if you love your neighbor, you're not going to lie about him. If, you're not, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to, to uh, spread falsehoods about your neighbor. You will tell the truth. And just as stealing is destructive not only to the individual to, from whom you steal, uh, false witness is not just damaging to the one from whom you about whom you lie. Uh, bearing false witness is destructive to society because the courts of law, both in Israel under the Old Covenant and in our courts today, courts of law can only function when witnesses who are called to testify tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so, you know, without a system of justice that is based on eyewitness testimony from reliable, trustworthy, trustworthy witnesses, societies are at risk are at risk of breaking down and the breaking down of law and order. Our justice system is is built upon the fact that witnesses will tell the truth, tell the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, but if law and order breaks down because uh, people are bearing false witness, then chaos will result and the innocent will suffer. And so it's very important that we be people of truth. Because those who perjure, those who bear false witness, those who lie, those who gossip, those who slander, those who backbite, they have violated the law of God and are under the curse. Every perjurer shall be expelled. And God is just, and He will by no means clear the guilty. And then verse 4, I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name, it shall remain in the midst of its house and consume it with its timber and its stones. And so Zechariah, you remember Zechariah is all about rebuilding the temple, all about rebuilding the, the, uh, the house of the Lord, rebuilding God's house. For 20 years, the people had prioritized their own houses. They were dwelling of houses of cedar. As, as Haggai says, when, the people, when God's house laid in ruins. And so they had focused on building themselves houses. And, uh, you know, a house is supposed to be a place of safety. It's supposed to be a place of security. It's supposed to be a, a place of refuge. One of our essential needs is the need for shelter. And the house, our house, serves that need for us. And so it's a very important uh, part of our lives and a very basic need that we have we want our houses to, to be a safe place, a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place of security. But God says the curse of the Lord will enter those houses. It will enter the house of those who steal. will enter the house of those who bear false witness. And those houses will be destroyed. Uh, they will be totally consumed with timber and stones. And the implication is those thieves and Liars that are trying to find refuge in that house when that house is destroyed, timber and stone. The, the, the uh, uh, implied truth is that those occupants will be destroyed along with it. Because God is a just God. Even that cedar house cannot protect you from 
the wrath of God, the curse of the law. And so this vision, this vision goes out and pronounces God's curse. The curse of the law is going out over the land and over the whole earth to punish those who have violated the terms of the law. They might think that they've gotten away with it, but God says they will be consumed. The curse is coming. Now remember back in, uh, back in uh, the early part of Zechariah, Zechariah says, The Lord answered the angel who talked to me with good and comforting words. So how can words of judgment be good and comforting words? Or can they be? <laughs> Yeah, so God is God is true as God is faithful. So you should be learning something. You shouldn't accept it as your judgment as something bad. You should look at it that I have fallen very far off course. Yeah, a, a call to repent. And yeah, and I'm, I'm not seeing it myself. <laughs> oh, yeah, it and I don't want to face it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. So yes, the this vision functioned in two ways. First, comfort to the victims. You know, those who have been wronged can take comfort that the thieves and the liars will be brought to justice. You know, Romans chapter 12 says, you know, you don't have to worry about getting even. You don't have to worry about getting back. You don't have to worry about hurting someone because they hurt you. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. Leave vengeance to the Lord because guess what? He's going to do a lot better job of it than you are anyway. <laughs> you know, God.